I'm pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for the drive to work. Okay, so today it's time to talk Dominaria. Um, note that I'm going to be talking about the design, not getting into cards. I'll probably do cards at a different time. Um, for those that are regular listeners of my show, note that the cards take a lot of prep, um, but design does not. So today we're talking Dominaria design. Okay, so first let me uh, set the ground a little bit. So um, Dominaria was the very first vision design team. I will get into that as we talk about this. Um, the, it, in fact, it, being the first vision design team matters because uh, it didn't start as the first vision design team. It turned into the first vision design team. I'll talk about that. Um, okay, let's talk about the people involved. So uh, I obviously led the vision design. Uh, Ethan Fleischer, uh, the winner of the second great designer search, um, Ethan um, led the exploratory design and then was on the team. Um, Gavin Verhey was uh, what I call my strong second, the person who was keeping, keeping the file. Um, that's, I think that's the first time Gavin had done that. Um, Aaron Forsyth, who uh, runs Magic R&D, uh, the, the senior director of Magic R&D, I believe his title. Um, Aaron doesn't get to work on sets a lot anymore. Uh, but he, every once in a while he does. Usually maybe like once a year he'll do something. And this was the one he wanted to work on. Um, it was the 25th anniversary. We're going back to Dominaria. Aaron's a longtime player. Um, Aaron was with me on uh, Time Spiral. And so Aaron, Aaron loves doing sets with, a, with some n- nostalgia to them. Um, and uh, who am I forgetting? Uh, oh, uh, Kelly Diggs was the creative representative. Um, there was a lot going on. Dominaria, of, of worlds to visit, there was a lot of history, as you will see, in Dominaria. So Kelly was very important. Ethan, by the way, also was, uh, had done a lot to study Dominaria's past. He, he read all the books. and So Ethan and Kelly were both very well versed in, in Dominaria. Um, we had Ian Duke, who was a representative at the time of the development team, and now I would say the play design team. Um, this, the transition between sort of happened during the period of this time. But anyway, he was a person on the team to cost the cards, make sure things were balanced, and you know, made notes about whether things you know, could, could be crafted correctly to make you know, um, constructed cards and stuff. Um, the final person on the team is this guy named Richard Garfield. So uh, Richard obviously created the game of magic, for those that somehow don't know that. Um, so what happened was um, Richard made Alpha, and then he quickly made Arabian Nights. Uh, and then he went on to do other things, to make other games, to make um, Jihad, which later become Vampire of the Eternal Struggle, and to make um, Netrunner and uh, Battletech. And he was doing... A, when, when Magic first got made, the idea was that it was just going to be the first of a whole bunch of trading card games, and that Richard was going to make the trading card games. Um, then, as it became aware that we were doing more than just trading card games, Richard started designing other games and such, and Richard really loves game design. So he stopped working on Magic because he was doing other stuff, making new games. Um, and the reason uh, I got him back into Magic was I wanted to be a designer, and Richard hadn't made a design in a while, and so the reason that I got to lead Tempest was because Richard was going to be on the team. Um, and so... That was the first chance for Richard and I to work together on a magic set was when I led Tempest. Um, then, um, I believe Richard, every set that Richard worked on, with one exception, uh, so he worked on Odyssey that I led. He then was on Judgment. I was on that, but I did not lead that team. 
Then he was on uh, Ravnica. Then he was on Innistrad. And now he is on Dominaria. So um, I've had Richard on a number of teams I've led, which has been a lot of fun. I mean, obviously, Richard and I know each other from way back. Um, and so the story of this time is I was, I don't know, my blog or somewhere. And someone, I think it was on my blog. And someone said, um, when would you, you know, would you work with Richard Garfield again? And my, of course I would. I love working with Richard. Anytime Richard's interested, all he has to do is ask and I'd put him on a team. So somebody uh, from work had read that reply on my blog and said, hey, um, about six months ago, I ran into Richard at a party and I asked him if he'd be interested in doing any magic design. And he goes, of course, if Mark ever is interested in having me, you know, if he calls, of course I'd say yes. And he goes, I think both of you are interested in working with the other one and just waiting on the other one. And so I called him up the next day. Now, I knew Dominari was coming up. And I'm like, oh, well, if ever we're going to have Richard, how about the set where we return to Magic's home on the 25th anniversary? That felt just like a slam dunk awesome set for Richard to be on. So I called him up. He, uh, I think the joke is I called him up if he wanted to be on the set. He said yes. I go, wait a minute. Don't you want to know what the set is first? He goes, it doesn't matter. I go, no, no, no. I think you really like the set. And he goes, okay, what's the set? And I'm like, it's, we're going back to Dominari at 25th anniversary. He goes, yes. <laughs> so um, anyway, so that was the team. I think we had a seven person. We had a big design team. Um, so let me explain a little bit about the vision design team part of this. So um, the old system, the way it worked was there was design uh, and design would go on for about a year and then development would go on for about nine months. Um, and the, the, so the, that was where the split off was. Um, when, in the rejiggered system, uh, it got broken up a little bit where um, the early part of design doesn't go as long and then the middle part goes a little bit longer. So it, it sort of, we chopped up kind of where the handoff happened um, because we were starting to move into a world where we wanted... So the idea of doing large, large, large core set and the idea of doing vision design, set design, play design um, were actually two separate things. They, they both evolved sort of separately, but um, the, the existence of the other sort of had some influence. So for example is um, it used to be we had one world a year we would visit. Uh, and then we'd have, we'd have one large set, two small sets. So as the head designer, usually if I could sort of craft the world in the first large set, I could hand it off and the small sets could be made by other designers. Um, and then we moved to a world where we had large set, small set, large set, small set. Well, in those worlds, what I ended up doing was I was leading designs and then handing over the reins to other people. So for Kaladesh, for Amonkhet, for Ixalan, I kind of led the first half of the design and then handed off you know, Sean did the second half of um, Kaladesh. Ethan did the second half of Amonkhet. Um, uh, Ken Nagel did the second half of Ixalan. That I would be handing off... I mean, we'd be working together the whole time. Both of us would be in the team for all, all 12 months. But uh, I would sort of handle the reins for the six, for first six months and then hand them over for the second six months. Um, and what we realized was, in order to do what I was doing, that I was already kind of making a system where I would come and do the early part. Uh, and then when we went to a three-system world, it, it even became more clear that we we needed, uh, like, I needed um, more concentrated time to, to pull this off. So the idea in Vision now is I spend four months on each set. There's three sets a year. Uh, not kind of the core set. I don't do a lot of work on the core set. Um, I, I did a little work when we brought it back to sort of make sure it's, you know, the, the, the overall structure was fine. But n now it'll sort of repeat itself. So it... It does not, I don't, don't need to constantly be worrying about it. Um, 
But anyway, so the, the metaphor that I use for, for vision is we're building a house. Visions is the architect that's going to build the blueprints. We're not building the house. Set design is going to build the house. But we are figuring out what exactly the house looks like and what components the house has. And, you know, we figure out themes and mechanics. and all. We figure out a lot of the big picture stuff and then let um, the set design take all those components and build, build the set. Okay, so Dominaria was a tricky one. So we knew we were going back to Dominaria. Oh, oh sorry. I, I jumped off my own story. So when we started this, it was going to be... Um, I was going to do... Actually, was I going to hand off the set? I, I think the plan for this set was I was not going to hand off the set. That I was going to do the full design this time. Um, although I'm not... I forget exactly. Anyway. Um, but one month into it, it was announced that instead of being a 12-month design, it would be a six-month vision. Now, vision would later turn to four months when we... The, the three-in-one system would click in soon thereafter. Um, but for... Um, and, re- and remember, by the way, when, I, when we made uh, Dominari, which was codenamed Soup, Soup had a salad. It had a small set. So I'm going to talk about that when we talk about designing. But there was a small set. The small set really didn't go away until after we handed over the file. So I designed this block as if it was a large set, small set. Um, so we started Vision, but once again, Vision at the time was a six-month thing. And then as we sort of moved over to the three-in-one system, it became a four-month thing so that I get three things in. So when I talk about how they're connected but not the same, like this is a, a, the first vision design I ever did was not a four-month vision design, which is what they currently are, but a six-month vision design. So um, basically the way it worked is soup and then spaghetti, meatballs, and milk would all have a six-month design. Um, Oh, actually, sorry. I did spaghetti and meatballs combined as a six-month design because um, even though they were they were always supposed to be large sets, they were considered one block. So I did that as one, one six-month design. So that was sort of put together. And then I did milk. But after milk was archery, and archery was the first one that turned into a, a four-month design. The new, the sort of, that's when the three-in-one kicked in from a... We, we retroactively changed soup. Salad went away. But anyway, I'll get into that. Okay, so let's start from the beginning. Uh, we were going back to Dominaria. We'd not been in Dominaria since Time Spiral, which was 13 years earlier um, from the time it came out. I think when we were making it a little less. Um, so if you go back and look at early magic, um, for some reason, we... Even though we were a world, we were a set, all, I'm sorry, a game all about traveling the multiverse, we didn't actually travel the multiverse all that much. Um, Arabian Nights took place somewhere else, but more so because after the fact we decided that we didn't want world directly taken from 1001 Arabian Nights to be sitting on Dominaria. I mean, it wasn't really defined at the time, but later we said, oh, oh that's a different world. Um, then... Um, Homelands was set in a different world of Agartha. Um, and then Tempest, uh, Tempest, Exodus, and Stronghold Exodus were in Wrath, although Wrath would later get overlaid onto Dominaria. Then Mercadian Masks was in Mercadia, but that's, that was literally just the first set. Um, the, the second set, uh, Nemesis, partly took place on Wrath. Um, and then um, after Mercadia, I think till we get to Mirrodin, which is more of the modern age, that might be it. That might be the like 
everything was on Dominaria except for one Rabia, one Agrotha, three Wrath, and one Mercadia, or maybe four Wrath and one Mercadia. And that's it. Everything else for the first, like, ten years of Magic was set on the same world. Um, now, the way it tended to work was we did go to different worlds, sort of. Like, Ice Age was a Nordic-inspired ice world. Jamora was an African-inspired jungle world. Um, Otaria was a world where mutations were out of control. Uh, Time Spiral was a post-apocalyptic... Like, on some level, we did go to a lot of different worlds. We just didn't, quote-unquote, leave the plane. Um, now, for those that have heard me talk about that, I, there's all sorts of issues I have with that. Um, I like the worlds to have identity. And so the idea was, here's the, here was the challenge we were signing up for. We wanted to come back to Dominaria. We wanted to bring it into the fold. We wanted it to be a world we could visit. But we wanted it to have an identity. That it, it is not good to be the hodgepodge everything world. Because all identity is no identity. And so what we said is, we wanted to figure a way to make... Um, we wanted Dominaria to be Dominaria, but we wanted it to be in such a way that it had a, had a clean, understandable identity to it. Um, and so one of the challenges of making Dominaria was, how do you do that? How do you make a... And because there's so many sets there, like the very first meeting, um, I said, okay, guys, we're going back to Dominaria. Let's fill up the whiteboard with what do you expect? What are players going to expect to be there? And we... I mean, I think we more than filled the blue. I think we filled it up, took a picture, and then filled it up again. Like, we, there was a lot of stuff that was, that was there. You know, there was a lot of... We're talking, like, I think it's like 28 or 29 expansions that took place there. Plus, there are four Wrath expansions that Wrath got overlaid on Dominaria. So things on Wrath are now on Dominaria. So we're talking over 30 sets that have things that could be on Dominaria. Like, we, we couldn't even fit it all in. So... Part of it was to figure out what the cool parts were, and then how do those cool parts get an identity to them? Um, and one of the things, I mean, we spent a lot of time going a lot of different directions. Um, we spent a little bit of time. So one of the things that guided us was, interestingly, Time Spiral. <coughs> so Time Spiral was our last visit to Dominaria, and it really was a, on some level, the best of Dominaria. Because of the time travel, there, there was um, time anomalies, and so things from the past were popping up in the present. Mishra was dead, but boop, there's Mishra, and now we have a card with Mishra on it. Um, so we had a lot, we were able to sort of, Time Spiral also had a lot of nostalgia to it, and definitely had a backward-looking feel. And one of the things we said going in is, time, there was good parts of Time Spiral and bad parts of Time Spiral. And what we wanted to do is get the good parts, but not the bad parts. So the good parts of Time Spiral is this just general nostalgia, the Easter eggs, the, the sense of the more you know, the deeper you can appreciate things. Um, and there was a lot of sort of fun rediscovery in Time Spiral. The downside of Time Spiral was too much of what we did was defined by you knowing what it was. That we had way too many cards where it was what I call get it. Like, oh, it's this card and that card slammed together. Get it? Well, if you do, then you see the cleverness of us slamming them together. But if you don't, it just seems like a weird thing. That one of the problems we have with Time Spiral. And Time Spiral Block 
for those that don't know their history, Times Square Block had this weird dynamic to it. Tournaments were up and sales were down. Well, what does that mean? Tournaments are up, sales are down. Up until that point, sales being up, tournaments being up always meant sales were up. So the first time ever, more people were playing in tournaments, yet we were, we were selling less of the product. And that's when we first, uh, what we call the invisibles, which are, there's people that aren't involved in the organized play system. In fact, there's a lot of them. And early on, we found this trending where, well, in general, if tournaments were doing well, Magic was doing well. And here we had a situation where tournaments were doing great, but Magic wasn't. And what we realized was, is Time Spire was playing to the enfranchised crowd, the crowd that was most likely to come and play in tournaments. They're the ones most likely to be playing for a while to get the in-jokes. Or even if they don't get the in-jokes, they're part of the community and they're online and they're talking to people. They can get the jokes explained to them. But the average person that wasn't part of the Magic community, that wasn't online, that wasn't in stores, just got baffled by it. It just, you know, and we put way too many mechanics in it. It was just, it was overwhelming. And so what we said is, look, we like nostalgia. We like a sense of Easter eggs. We want a sense of there's depth here if you know what's going on. But it can't be, it can't be um, unaccessible for people that don't know it. Um, and so one of the things we actually wrote up on the board the very first day was the Black Blade. So Dakin Black Blade um, was a character from Legends. And he had this mighty sword called the Black Blade. So the reason we wrote the Black Blade up is we liked the idea of Dakin Black Blade's probably dead. He, that was thousands of years ago that he existed. So he's probably dead. But his sword still exists. And you know what? If we make a really cool sword that does a cool thing, you don't need to know anything about the history of the world to know that that's a cool card. And so what we said is, look, we want to show off this world, but in a way that makes it cool. That, that somebody who doesn't know it, that you don't need to know anything to understand why th- things are exciting. Now, if you do know, like the Black Blade's a perfect example. We make the Black Blade's a cool sword. If you don't know anything about the history of, of Dominara, you're just like, oh, cool sword. But if you do, you're like, oh, this is a cool sword. And it's the Black Blade. Awesome, right? So, um, so that's how we set apart to, to figure out. And then um, Mark Winters was the um, art director in charge of the set. And he had done some sketches to sort of flesh out the world. Um, and one of them was, I guess, a fallen Phyrexian ship um, from the Phyrexian invasion, from invasion. Um, and the idea was a city had sort of grown up in, inside of it. Like, they, the idea was this thing had happened to the world, this remnant was there, and rather than ignore it, they just sort of made it part of what they were, that this city now encompasses this old Phyrexian ship. Um, and I, I really liked that, and it made... it. it made me tap into the idea that what made this world unique was that it had a history. And, and when I say history, I don't just mean um, a history in world. I mean a history outside of world. That we're talking about putting Easter eggs and stuff in. So when I talk about the Black Blade, okay, the Black Blade has a history in the world. I mean, Dak and Black Blade had it, whatever. There's a, the, the sword itself has a story. You, you could, someone could write the story of the Black Blade. It had a story. But also external to, in the game... There was a card called Dark and Black Blade. There was a card called Cor- Coralash, Heir to Black Blade, in Future Sight. You know, we've made reference to the Black Blade on a couple of different occasions in Flavor Text. Like, it, it has game relevance beyond having world relevance. And what I realized was that the neat thing about this world was it was a world in which all these things happened to the world. The Thran was existent. They got wiped out. 
and there was a Frexian invasion and a brothers war and all, you know also the, the mending and all sorts of large events happen here a lot of things happen here and so one of the things that's kind of neat is um, to show a world that's sort of coming through oh the other thing was last we saw um, Dominaria was an apocalypse it was in a bad shape it was post-apocalyptic and like we wanted Dominaria we knew that coming back for the 25th anniversary was going to be a feel-good moment right we're returning home it's the 25th anniversary so we wanted the world to be recovering we didn't want the world to be like in even worse shape so the idea was we wanted this um, sort of this vibrant renewal to happen. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and that, so we wanted to see a world in which bad things had happened to it, but look, it, it's resilient and it, it adopts whatever happens to it and, and uh, or adapts to it, sorry, and then it, um, it, it goes on and it keeps living. And that is Dominaria. That it's a world in which its present is defined by its past. Um, and that took us, by the way, all of exploratory design to get to. Um, in fact, I think we were in vision design before we, we quite centered on that. But the idea of what, you know, if, if, uh, if Innistrad is Gothic horror and Theros is Greek mythology and Amenkhet is sort of Egypt meets Bolas, what was, what was Dominari? And it's, it's a world of history. It's history world. It's archaeology world in some level. Um, like one of the things we realize is even when you go back to the very first magic story that takes place there, which is the Brothers' War, um, like even that story is about digging up the world and finding out the things that came before it. Meaning the Thran, like we started Dominario with a previous world history built into it. Like it's a, it's a world that started as an archaeology world from the beginning, even before the game park got added in. Like the story of the Brothers' War is digging up the past. So like this is a world in which, you know, you dig down in the world and you just keep finding pieces of its past. And the people have an admiration for that. Um, so we, la we, la we latched into the idea of history. It took quite a while to get there. We went on many different paths. Um, we spent some time sort of looking at some mechanical identities of Magic's past. Um, and eventually we realized that was another mistake of Time Spiral, which was Time Spiral said, here are things we don't do normally, but we once did, so we're going to do them. We broke color pie. We we just did things that like we don't normally do, and it is it causes problems. We say, you know what? Our goal is not to go back to magic as it once was. Our goal is to take a modern sensibility to design and find components of the past that were cool and make a modern magic set with a with a, a dominarian um, sheen to it, if you will. Um, that. You know, it wasn't about sort of saying... It, we looked into it and said, oh, do we want to kind of retreat the gameplay? And what we found is, no, we like the gameplay. Magic is in a good place with the gameplay. Um, we don't need to go back to, to where, yeah, there's just, you know, land destruction is easy to do, or creatures are weak. You know, we, we didn't need to retreat to that. Um, okay, so once we knew that history was going to be our guide, the real question was... How do you represent history? Like, we liked a lot the idea that our, our focal point was history. So the next question was, okay, you're about history. But mechanically, you have to capture that. So what is, what represents history? And there's a pretty clean answer. History is the graveyard. Um, 
you know, the idea is creatures die that go to the graveyard. Spells got cast that go to the graveyard. That if, if ever there's a past in the game, it's the graveyard. Um, and in fact, there's even a mechanic that like says that flashback. You know, I, I cast spells and then I remember that I did them. I remember they're there. I'm able to do them again. And so we're like, oh, okay, well, maybe we can make this a graveyard-centric world. We could use flashback. Um, and then there was one small problem. Um, so Shadows over Innistrad. So uh, real quickly, it goes Shadows over Innistrad. Then it goes um, uh, Kaladesh. Then Amonkhet. Then Ixalan. Then us. So Shadows actually had fallen out of standard by the time Zaminari came out, although Amonkhet did not. So, Shadows Over Innistrad was a graveyard set. Um, had a lot of elements of graveyard. We were back in Innistrad. Okay. So, then, two bucks we've got Amonkhet. Amonkhet was a graveyard set. Not, not quite as strong, but, but pretty strong. I mean, it, we had Embalm uh, and, and Eternalize. We had uh, Aftermath. You know, we had a bunch of mechanics that, that took place in the graveyard. And one of which, Aftermath... I mean, it's a tweak on flashback, but it's essentially flashback. I mean, it's flashback where it's spell A and spell B aren't the same spell, where normal flashback is the spell, the spell again. Um, but having aftermath in the same standard environment meant we couldn't do flashback. And it really meant after, you know, of the previous four sets, or four blocks, two of them have been graveyard-centric. Like, ah, oh, we can't be graveyard-centric. So I would say, okay, okay. The graveyard, the past can't be the graveyard. Okay, well, what else? What else is the past? Um, and so we wrote down things and we said, okay, well, there are objects of the past, right? There are, um, there are things that, you know, people take up. And so we said, okay, artifacts can represent that. Um, there is people of the past. There are actual, like, one of the things about magic being a fantasy thing is there are a bunch of characters that lived on Dominaria that are still alive. In fact, a surprising number of them. Teferi is still alive. Joyra is still alive. Karn is still alive. Multani is still alive. Squee is still alive. Um, uh, Joda, Jaya, you know, there, there's lots of people who were once alive and are still alive. Um, and so one of the sort of cool things is that we could just actually show real characters. Um, also, there are lineages. There are people in which... Um, you know, this is not the person you know, but it's the great-great-grandson or something, or great-great-granddaughter. Um, and also, some of it was sort of positions where someone was once this position, and now the new person has that role. Not, you know... Um, like, for example, there are Benelish Knights. Maybe the famous Benelish Knights of now are not the Benelish Knights of then, but, but they still carry on, you know, the, 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 to be a Benelish Knight means something. Um, and so we knew that there were a lot of sort of people that represented things. Um, and the other thing we were really interested in is the idea of telling stories of the past. Like, one of the unique things about Dominaria is it, it is a world... And when I say stories of the past, I don't mean the ones that... I'm not saying that... I mean, we could have made a world that had a very... You know, the idea of a world that's obsessed with its own past. We could have made a brand new world that did that. And everything about its past we made up. Except, in this case, we didn't make it up. You know, when we talk about there are stories to tell, um, eventually I'll get to the making of sagas, but we talk about stories to tell. Like, literally, there are stories to tell, stories that have been told, you know. Um, 
one of the things that Kelly and Ethan did is really went back and did all the research. And like, there's there's books and books and books and books and books on stories from Dominaria. There's all sorts of characters that have have we've told and stories and all sorts of stuff. So there's there's a lot there. So we're like, I said, when we look back, um, we look back that there is things that are just um, elements that represent the past. So the first thing we tried was I tr- I wanted to try a super type. And what the super type was is, uh, I think we used the word historic. Um, I'm not using this word. I, I think we did use the word historic. But the idea was it was a super type. And what it meant was anything that represented something that was of history from the past, we would just put the super type on it. Um, so if you were an artifact that was from the ancient days, you were a historic artifact. If you were a character or a role or something that... that that really represented the past. You were a historic creature. If you were an uh, enchantment that had something to do with the past, you were a historic enchantment. That whatever, whatever card type, historic instant, historic sorcery, um, whatever you were, if you were something from the past, you could be historic. Um, and the idea was, we okay, okay, so what we'll do is we'll label things and then we give cards to care. Okay, there were two problems with this. Um, Number one is the, um, what I call the marker problem. So in Battle for Zendikar, we tried, so Devoid ended up becoming a mechanic. It wasn't originally a mechanic, but in order to, to communicate, we had to make it a mechanic. And the point of Devoid was really is, I'm colorless. I don't do anything, I'm just colorless. I'm just telling you I'm colorless. Why? Because there's cards that care about colorlessness. And so a marker mechanic is, I don't do something, I just tell you I am something. Now, I was trying it as a super type rather than as mechanic. Uh, devoid as a mechanic. Like, we needed to have done it a different way. Not that I didn't want to have spells that were colored mana cost but colorless. I just didn't want to represent it as a mechanic. Because, but people said, oh, this new mechanic, what does it do? And it's like, it doesn't do anything. Like, well, why, would, why doesn't it do anything? Uh, and so the idea of some, a marker, I thought, well, let's try it as a super type. People don't mind markers as uh, subtypes. So, for example... Um, we do creature types all the time as markers. We we have done curses and quests. And, like, we've done subtypes, and people don't seem to mind that uh, if they're flavorful. And they don't mind creature types. So I'm like, okay, maybe we could do a super type that's flavorful. Um, but there was a lot of resistance in, in the team that the same sort of problem we had with the marker issue with Devoid. Um, the second problem was it was super parasitic. What I mean by that is if I care about historic cards... And historic cards literally only exist in this set. Well, that's that, parasitic means you, it's not backward compatible. It only this is the only set that you can care about. Um, like Champions Kamigawa had a lot of problems with being parasitic because like I care about samurais, but this is the only set that has samurais. I care about arcane spells, but this is the only set that has arcane spells. You know, it, it, it's looking at things there, and so historic that way made it really, really parasitic. And so Aaron said to me, um, well. What if we just found the card types? Like, it seems to me the two things that we most care about are the things and the people, which are artifacts and are, and are legendary, mostly legendary creatures, but legendary things and artifacts. What if we just said that, you know, instead of what if we cared about those things? What if those things were the things we cared about? Um, and the thing that I liked about it when Aaron first pitched it was... One of the challenges is there's only so many things on a magic card. Like, 
The idea, the reason I kept looking for trying to do some marker mechanics is I just want to subdivide things differently. Like the neat thing I, to me is if I label some things historic is, well then it's just a weird mix of things. Like you could use these creatures and these artifacts and these enchantments and these instants and these sorceries, and maybe these lands. I mean like it just meant that certain things cared. And when I was building my deck, I had constraints that I never had before. Um, so when Aaron proposed combining something, well, the thing I liked a lot about it was I said, well, we've made you care about artifacts. There's been numerous blocks that care about artifacts. Care about artifacts is not a brand new thing. We've made you care about legendary things. That was a theme in the Chimps of Kamigawa. That's not a brand new thing. But we've never made you care about the combination of them. And the thing I was excited by is that there was a potential for trying to make you care about something that's unique without making you care about a brand new thing. And that's the part that I really liked about it, was that it, um, it said, hey, you're going to build a deck you've never built before, but I'm not introducing any vocabulary to you. I'm not doing anything. You know, I'm just saying artifacts and legendary things. Um, and it, it seemed like a cool idea. So um, the earliest version of historic um, was an ability word. And what it said is, whenever you cast an artifact or legendary card, um, you may do something. Uh, so the idea essentially was, it was kind of like Constellation. So Constellation is whenever you cast an enchantment, boom, something happens. So we're like, okay. So instead of being an enchantment, so um, instead of being a you know, landfalls whenever you play a land, uh, Constellations whenever you play enchantment, we're like, okay, well, what if we sort of, whenever you play an artifact and then add in also a legendary thing? So the historic was going to be this like sort of um, it just wanted you to cast certain things, um, and I I was excited. That seemed like a cool idea. I liked the blending. It seemed different, and so we decided to try that. Um, meanwhile, um, oh I'm almost to work. So this is not gonna this is not gonna end today. Um, oh the one other thing by the way is. The reason that we did historic as an ability word was um, when you do a mechanic, there has to be a, a constancy to how you do it. And um, because this had an open-ended effect, the effects were different, um, it, it's, we tend to ability word those things. Uh, usually what ability word means is if you, it's the italicized word with the M dash before the text. And the idea is if you cover up that word, it's in italics, the card tells you what it does. You don't need that word. That word is just for flavor. Um, so we decided that, I mean, this, this pattern of the things that we had made um, an ability word in the past. So we made it an ability word. And so that was how we were going to capture, uh, how, how, well, one of the ways we were mechanically going to capture history. Anyway, guys, I am now at work, and I'm far from finishing this story. So um, we will have to continue it next time. Uh, but anyway, I hope you guys are enjoying hearing about the history of Dominaria. There's a lot of fun stuff going on, but it is a lengthy story, so obviously it's going to be more than one podcast. But anyway, I'm now at work, so we all know what that means. It is the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. I'll see you guys next time.